You can take your Bibles and turn to the book of Acts. Your devices, your Bibles, you got the Bible memorized, focus in on Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9. I want to mention a couple of things to you and then we will get started. Number one, over on my left, and mention it again, we've got our Go campaign. We're going in the month of October. Went and prayed in September and we're going and putting out the door packages in October. We, in our graciousness, are going to allow you to do that in November if you choose to do so. Weather permitting, we've got about half, Mike can correct me, uh, as of last week, and I know I've given up some during the week, we've still got about half of uh, our maps to go. We've had a lot that have been taken, a lot that have been handed out, thousands of homes in both the Bartlett and, and Arlington area. So if you um, might be here afterwards and right over here, I'll be over there. But if you'd like to get a box of, of the door hangers and a map, and it's real simple, uh, nothing to it. All you got to do is walk and put them on the door. If you get a chance to talk to somebody, great. Uh, but... Right over here, you can see me or Mike afterwards, and uh, if you would like to do that. We've still got a few T-shirts left. If your size is small, medium, large, or triple extra large, which is what I had to get. But that's a different story. But anyway, if you want small, medium, large, or triple extra large, we've actually got a few of those shirts left. And uh, Chad is rocking one today, and so is Ethan and uh, some others, we'll have them, they model them a lot better than I do for some reason, I don't know, particularly Ethan, but uh, anyway, if you like a t-shirt, they're over there. Now, I just want to mention to you, next weekend, some of you already know about this, and but I do want to mention it, we got, it's, it's really going to be, we're excited about next weekend, just a lot going on. So, focus with me for just a moment. Got, remember the letter P, when my kids were small, they went to uh, evangelical Christian school, that's how they learn their letters. So we're going to do the letter P. Beth, are you ready? Yeah. Pa, pa. See? That's how you learned it, wasn't it? Pa, 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 pelican. My beak holds what my belly can. That's how you learn. I, didn't, I thought it was kind of, I love pelicans. So I thought it was kind of cool. All right. So think P for next Saturday. All right, next Saturday morning, right here about 9 o'clock, all day long, you can come and we're going to let you paint. What letter does that begin with? There you go. You can paint, you can pick up. What's another letter P? You can what? No, no, we'll get to that in a minute. Don't be throwing spiritual stuff out. (laughs) Participate. Ooh, nice one. Corporate talk over here. (laughs) Participate. Praise God. All right. So next Saturday, we're going to paint one of the rooms over here. There's a lot of preparation. There's another P word. On Friday night, you can come if you want to help prepare that room and participate to be painted. And then Saturday, we're going to paint room three. We're going to deep clean uh, room what? I can't see that. Two. Room two, we're going to deep clean, and that will take uh, most of the day right there to clean it deeply. So next Saturday during the day, if you can do that, we'll be hanging out and have a good time together and painting and participating 
and cleaning and pick and picking up what? Pizza. Pizza, there you go. <laughs> That's John, he's always thinking. We might even have pizza. See? Alright. That's next Saturday during the day. What we're really excited about is next Saturday afternoon into the evening, right here in our building, starting at five o'clock. We're going to have all of our missionaries from around the world are going to be here. Next Saturday night, they're going to be right here in our building. We're going to get in groups and just let you meet our missionaries. Very, uh, it, it really helps to put a, a face, get, get their prayer card. You can start praying for them, maybe get on their email list and get their details so you can pray for them going forward. But all of them are going to be here in our building next Saturday night at 5 o'clock. We won't be here for hours. We'll be here an hour, hour and a half. As uh, long as you want to hang around and talk to them, but we're going to let them share briefly their needs and how you can pray for them next Saturday night. I really hope you can come and just get to meet some of them. So that's next Saturday at 5 o'clock right here in our, our building. And people from Bartlett will also be here. Uh, we're, we were going to do it at both campuses, and we decided at a meeting Thursday night we're going to do Saturday night. Everybody's going to come here. So the Bartlett people were here, and you know how they're going to trash the building. You know how they are. I'm just teasing. We're going to, that's why we got to paint it. So, anyway, next Saturday night at 5 o'clock, if you could be here, that would be great. And then next Sunday morning, just uh, we're real thrilled. The whole weekend, our missionaries are going to be with us. So next Sunday morning, we're going to have two of them here. We'll be sharing during, the, actually three sharing during the worship service next Sunday morning. I won't, I won't have to preach, so you, you'll be, see, you'll enjoy that. Get to come and hear from our missionaries going to have some teaching classes at 9.30, but then they'll be sharing during the worship service at 10.45 next Sunday. Then next Sunday night, at beginning at 4 o'clock, we're going to have a meet and greet at the Bartlett campus with all of our missionaries again. So if you can't make Saturday, you can, maybe you can make Sunday night. Hopefully you can do both. Just spend some time. With, it's, we've never had them all together at one time. So we're going to do that next weekend. So next Sunday night, starting at 4 and then at 5, we're going to meet and greet at about five. We're going to have a panel discussion and just uh, some of us, uh, elders and staff and, and some of you, if you'd like to submit questions to our missionaries, we're going to ask them questions and let them share their hearts. And uh, if nothing else, here's what I want for you. I want you to begin to appreciate what God is doing all over the world through Christ Church, through your gifts. You stick something in these incredibly beautiful black boxes or you give online. And when you take their prayer cards and stick them on your refrigerator and you pray for them, it is incredibly significant worldwide what is going on for the kingdom. And we get to be part of that. So I really pray you can come either Saturday night or next Sunday night. Also, you'll see some of them Sunday morning. They won't all be here Sunday morning. Some of them will be in Bartlett. Some will be here. But then next Sunday night, we'll all be together in Bartlett and get to share there. So next Saturday morning, throughout the day, you can come and help paint and eat pizza and participate. And then Sunday, a Saturday night, come pray with us with our missionaries. Uh, I hope you can do that next weekend. Okay, turn to Acts chapter 9. As we continue to think about going and about what God is doing, the Great Commission through the church that Jesus, last thing Jesus said before he left the planet, you see there, part of it, part of it was earlier, but the end of it, on your handout, the Great Commission continues. 
Father, your kingdom come, your will be done. As Jesus had taught us how to pray earlier in his ministry, but then to the end, the last thing he said before he left the planet, go and make disciples of all the nations. I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. When you read all the accounts of the Great Commission together, that's what Jesus said. That has not changed. When he left the planet, first advent, he left. He's coming back. Second advent, second coming, whatever you want to call it. Last days, we're in the last days now. Church age, we're in the church age now. It is significant, I think sometimes, particularly in our nation, that church has become a negative thing. Because there's a lot of negative things that go on in church, unfortunately, even by clergy. I was meeting with a family yesterday, two days ago. Just a horrible funeral I had to, to participate in yesterday, and God really blessed and used it. But in meeting with that family and, and beginning to share, I had the privilege of sharing the gospel with them and seeing them positively respond. God was working good, even in, in a very tragic situation. As I stood there and officiated at this guy's funeral yesterday, I remember the one thing he had told me about church. He didn't go to church. And you know why he didn't go? thought it was hypocritical. Now, how many of us know there are hypocrites in church? How many of us have been a hypocrite in church? We all have. And that's what I was sharing with his family yesterday, or Friday, is he's right. There are a lot of hypocrites in church. There's a lot of hypocrisy, a lot of mask wearing. But Jesus ain't wearing a mask. That'd be a great title for a sermon. Jesus ain't wearing a mask. Jesus ain't wearing a mask. <laughs> Jesus is real. That's why he wants us to be genuine. And he wants us to be real. And that's the privilege, and that's why it's so significant that God himself, the God-man, our Savior, our Lord, our God, said to us, now you go, and you make disciples of me. You teach them what I've taught you, and I'm going to be with you always. This Go campaign, the reason it's so significant, beyond getting us to pray for our neighbors, meet our neighbors, is... You don't know how God might take one of those silly little bags with the cards in them and the DVD and get somebody to where they begin to talk to one of us and maybe their family comes to know Christ and is born again. And the whole thing, the 30,000, 40,000 bags we hand out, if one family is converted and enters the kingdom of God and is saved eternally, it's worth it. But beyond all of that, we need to understand how important it is to be a child of God, how significant it is to be a child of God, how precious it is to understand that God has chosen us. We're going to look at that specifically in a moment, a chosen vessel. We are to be used by the eternal God of the universe to reveal himself to a lost and dying world through us. That's why I love that passage in 2 Corinthians. It says we are ambassadors for Christ. I'd rather be that and the king of the world, ambassadors for Jesus, who is the Christ, the Messiah. So what we look at today, when you get to Acts chapter 9, which is where we are in our study of the book, you see the title of today's message is what? Look at it. See if you got a handout. God can do what? He can save anybody. And we're going to see him save Saul of Tarsus, which is what this is about. But how do I know God can save anybody? Because he saved me. And I know some of you, he saved you. And I know you. And if he can save you, he can save anybody. 
We've talked about this before. We're going to see it very graphically here in a few moments. If there was one person on planet Earth at this moment in history, in Acts chapter 9 as it opens, if there was one man or woman on planet Earth that the church wanted nothing to do with, who was it? Saul of Tarsus. They wanted nothing to do with it. They were terrified of him. His job was to go around, take their income away from them, take them from their families, and put them in prison. You didn't invite him over for dinner. You didn't hang out with him. You were terrified that he might be coming to your neighborhood or your town, in this case, Damascus. But see, the beauty of this is understanding that God's plan is always bigger than what we see. It's one of the things I was sharing with the funeral yesterday is you got to understand God doesn't make mistakes. Nobody wanted their... She, Pam didn't want her husband to drop dead this week. His two sons didn't want that. His brother didn't want that. His friends didn't want that. Of course not. But God was in control, is in control, is working good, and will work good out of that horrible tragedy because eternity is more important than the moment. And so what God is doing by saving Saul of Tarsus is reminding the church, I am. you got to trust me. I am. So let's look at the context and the history of Acts chapter 9. What you're seeing here as we turn this page, it's the second stage of the Great Commission. Jesus said, I want you to begin at Jerusalem, then I want you to go where? Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth, or the end of the earth, or the nations. In other words... Everybody on the planet, I want you to take the gospel to them. It is not just a Jewish thing. So you're beginning to see in Acts chapter 9, we saw it in 8, transitioning into 9, the second stages of the Great Commission. Philip, we took that last week, he's taking the gospel to Samaria. So you've got beyond Jerusalem, Judea, he's now gone out to Samaria. Philip took it there, he took it to the Ethiopian eunuch, which took it back to Africa. So it's beginning to go to the ends of the earth. But Philip takes the gospel to Samaria. Saul of Tarsus is about to get saved. He is God's chosen vessel to become the apostle to the Gentiles. Not Jews, Gentiles. So that's the nations. That's the ends of the earth. That's his calling. That's going to be his specific ministry given to him by Jesus Christ is to take the gospel to the nations. You are my chosen vessel for that. To this day, we call Paul the apostle to the Gentiles. So I love this picture. Please don't miss it, and please remember this principle. Talked briefly about it a moment ago. Paul was the arrester of Christians, followers of the way. They didn't call them Christians yet. They called them followers of the way because Jesus said, I am the way. Paul's job was to arrest followers of the way or Jesus the Christ who claimed to be the Christ, to arrest them and imprison them, to persecute them. So he was the arrestor and he was the persecutor of followers of Jesus. He is about to be on the road to Damascus, arrested by Jesus. And here's what Jesus tells Ananias later, we will see in chapter 9. We're going to show Paul, Saul of Tarsus, the many things he will have to suffer for my sake. He was the arrester. He's being arrested. He was the persecutor, and he will be persecuted beyond 
that anybody else went through for the sake of Jesus Christ. And I guarantee you, because you'll see it as you read through Acts, Paul, the Apostle Paul, remembered what he did when he was Saul of Tarsus, the persecutor of Christians, followers of Jesus. He remembered. It bothered him for the rest of his life that he was there when Stephen was stoned to death, that he was standing there participating in it, agreeing to it, holding the clothes, the clothes were at, Stephen's clothes were at his feet. It was always there in his mind. And then God used him, obviously, dramatically, even to this day. How many times when you open the Bible to study it, are you studying something written by the Apostle Paul? Most of the time. If you're in the New Testament, you're studying something he wrote. God had bigger plans for him. The last person man would have chosen was Saul of Tarsus. It was the first person God had chosen. Warren Wiersbe, great theologian, I still study, he wrote... Uh, back in the 20th century, and I still study his stuff today. I love Warren Wiersbe, said this. Saul's conversion was perhaps the greatest event in church history after Pentecost. Because he's converted, and then the gospel begins to go out to our ancestors, to go all over the world to spread the good news of Jesus Christ. If you notice the top of your handout, the Great Commission continues The conversion of Saul of Tarsus is unique in the way that it happened. Jesus Christ personally appears to him on the road to Damascus. We will look at that. It's significant in so many ways that we've talked about historically with the church and our lives today. In the book of Acts itself, which is the beginning of the early church, the history of the early church, the conversion of Saul of Tarsus is written, recorded by Luke three times. Three times in one book, it records his conversion. Significant. And then the point, the title of today's message is what? God can save anybody. No one would have expected Saul of Tarsus to become a Jesus follower. Nobody. But God did. Think back in your own life. Maybe you grew up in church and maybe, like, like my wife, you grew up in church and you were saved at, at a very young age. And then maybe you were like me, you were just a knucklehead that at age 16 God reached down and saved. And I look back at my life and I think, Why in the world did he save me? Because he had stuff for me to do. Prior to your conversion to Jesus Christ, what were you like? Maybe you were a good person just rocking along, but maybe not. There are many, many stories throughout history of men who absolutely blasphemed and wanted nothing to do with God. God reached down and changed in a dramatic way. Made them Christ followers. Billy Graham's son, Franklin, at point in his life, just, I don't want nothing to do with this stuff. Just turned his back on all that his dad stood for. And today, Franklin Graham runs the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association, the largest one in the world. Many, many examples. The rest of the book of Acts, from this moment forward, there's a few side tracks that we will see. But the rest of the book of Acts is primarily about the ministry of Saul of Tarsus as the Apostle Paul. You will see his ministry to individuals, his trials for the name of Jesus, his missionary journeys, him establishing local churches. God can save anybody because God has a plan. All right, get your hand out. Let's go to number one. Saul meets Jesus. Good place to start. Chapter 9, verse 1. 
Then Saul, as Saul of Tarsus, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest. He's going to meet Jesus. So he's at Jerusalem. Notice it says he's still breathing, persecuting the followers of Jesus. Now you've got to understand context. Saul of Tarsus was a Pharisee. Saul of Tarsus was on the Sanhedrin. Saul looked at what he's doing as pleasing to God. The fact he was persecuting these Jesus followers, he thought he was doing a good thing for God, a good religious thing. Because he looked at Jesus of Nazareth as a nobody. Because they looked down on Nazarenes anyway. Anybody from Nazareth. They even said when they talk about Jesus, could anything good come out of Nazareth? So he looked down on him already, but he looked at him as a false teacher, a satanic prophet. And so his followers are going around preaching Jesus. He looked at him as a crucified nobody. Now his followers are going around saying he's risen from the dead. And all these people are flocking in. They're accepting that Jesus sect, satanic sect, false religion. And he looked at it as a good thing to wipe them off. It was his goal to eliminate Christ followers, Jesus followers from the planet. Put them in prison have him kill, whatever he had to do, he was stopping it. As a matter of fact, as this opens, notice verse 1 again. He's still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. So he goes to the high priest. He's at Jerusalem. And the idea of the, the disciples here is not the 12 disciples. This is anybody that was a Christ follower. They were called disciples, the Great Commission. You go make disciples, learner followers. So anybody... Remember, we've talked about thousands upon thousands have gotten saved at Pentecost and four. The church has been growing exponentially, multiplying like crazy. So they're all over Jerusalem and the surrounding area. There, there are thousands upon thousands of these converts to Jesus. And he's been persecuting them unmercifully, still doing it at Jerusalem. And when it says there in verse one, this will really give you the picture. It says he's breathing threats and murder. I want you to see this because we'll see what God is doing. The word breathing there means deep, agitated, emotionally upset to where you're breathing rapidly, violently, kind of like you need, you can't breathe and you got to get a bag so you can catch your breath. And he sits so agitated and so he's crazed to get rid of these people. The word breathing means the very atmosphere in which he lived. It's a stupid picture, but it's one I thought of when I was studying this. This week, remember in the Peanuts cartoon, every time you saw Pigpen, what did you see? Just this cloud around him, right? That's the picture. That that's all Saul could see was he was in this atmosphere of hate. You want to know what a hate crime is? That's what this is. He hated anybody, male or female, that had any positive affirmation of Jesus of Nazareth as the Christ, and he wanted to wipe them out. Still doing it. Disciples of the Lord. Look at verse 2. He asked letters from, from the high priest to the synagogues of Damascus so that if he found any who were of the way, followers of Jesus, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. So he's breathing threats against disciples of the Lord, Anybody who was a follower of the way, men or women. For just a second, I want you to flip over to Acts chapter 26. We're going to come right back. 
Acts chapter 26, verse 9. Paul's own words. Before Agrippa. By the way, Jesus said that he would be presenting Jesus' name before kings and rulers. That's what's going on here. 26, 9. Paul's own words. Indeed, I myself thought I must do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. This I also did in Jerusalem, and many of the saints, believers in Jesus, I shut up in prison, having received authority from the chief priests. And when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. I punished them often in every synagogue and compelled them to blaspheme. And being exceedingly enraged against them, I persecuted them to foreign cities. While thus occupied as I journeyed to Damascus with authority and commission from the chief priests. Now go back to chapter 9. His own words. This is who I was. This is what I did. And it was wrong. And I was changed on that road to Damascus. Verse 2. Again, he goes to the chief priest. And he gets letters from the chief priest so that he can go to the synagogues, plural of Damascus, with the authority of the Sanhedrin to imprison Jesus' followers. It says synagogues, plural of Damascus, which meant they had obviously more than one. Damascus at this point probably had 30 to 40 synagogues. It was a very large Jewish population. At one point, 20,000 Jews. In AD 66, 20,000 Jews were massacred at one time in Damascus. So there was a large Jewish population. He's headed there to do what? Same thing he's been doing at Jerusalem. Chain them up and drag them back to Jerusalem and throw them in a prison. He's serious about this. He'll hunt them to the ends of the earth. Hunt them to the ends of the earth. Verse 3. As he journeyed, he came near Damascus. Remember, he's headed to Damascus to put these Jesus followers away. He journeyed to, as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. He fell to the ground, and he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? On his way to imprison Jesus' followers, who does he meet? Jesus himself. Has this light shining around him from heaven. If you run that metaphor through scripture, it's the Shekinah glory of God. It's always a heavenly, incredible, blinding light. Notice his response. The light shone around him. Verse 4, he fell to the ground and he heard a voice. Obviously that voice is that of Jesus Christ. He hears a voice. He's, he's blinded by this incredible light and he falls to the ground. All of that's a picture of the presence of God, the Shekinah glory, the worship of God, and he's hearing the voice of God. Jesus says, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Speaks conviction into his soul. Conviction into his soul. Think about it for a moment. Just, just the picture, just what you're seeing. It's incredible. What a moment. Jesus speaks to him. But I want to take away something that's an application for us. And I've shared this in different moments other times, but particularly in the context of what we're talking about today, I want to encourage you for a moment. Saul had been taking these Christ Jesus, these Jesus followers, putting them in prison, uh, having them sentenced to death, voting to put them to death. He was pleased with it. He thought he was doing his right religious thing. We talked about all of that. But notice, what does Jesus say to him? Saul, 
Why are you persecuting these Jews who follow me? Is that what he says? Uh-uh. What does he say? Why are you persecuting me? I get chills when I study this. Here's why. The Bible makes it clear when you become a child of God, when you're born again, you enter into a covenant partnership with Jesus Christ. He becomes your partner. We are his bride. And he's, when you persecute Jesus, when, when we're persecuted for our faith, what does Jesus say? You're persecuting me. That's mine. Randy's mine. Darren's mine. Peter's mine. Jim is mine. When you persecute them, you're persecuting me. That's why when Paul talks about this, when he writes about it in his letters, here's what he says. It was a privilege, particularly after what he had done. It was a privilege for me to be beaten for Jesus. It was a a privilege for me to be imprisoned for Jesus. It was a privilege for me to be shipwrecked for Jesus. It was a privilege for me to suffer for the name of Jesus Christ. Not as punishment, not as penance for what he had done, even though that was always there. That's not it. It was this, which is what it is for us today. We're never going to persecute the church the way Saul of Tarsus did. But we also have the privilege, and he talked about it in Philippians, we have the privilege of suffering for Jesus' sake. Not as a badge of, look at me, the martyr, but an opportunity to point people to the God who is there, who changes lives, who died for our sins, and even the people who hate us, persecute us, and want us wiped out. You think about yesterday, that that horrible thing in Pittsburgh. Some idiot can just walk in and start slaughtering people because he doesn't like Jews. Kind of makes this hit home, doesn't it? You don't think that might happen someday? It doesn't matter who it happens to. It's wrong. Martyrdom in the early church was just part of life. If you stood up for Jesus Christ, there was a good chance you were going to lose your life. And they didn't care. Now, we don't have that problem Totally in the church. We've seen isolated instances. But hate crime is hate crime. One day it might come just because you're a Christ follower. It certainly did to them. Why are you persecuting me? Understand this. Your covenant partner is the son of God. Your covenant partner that you go through side by side through life. We are his. My identification is I am in Christ. Paul, you heard me say it many times, when you read the writings of Paul, every time he refers to Christians, he refers to them as in Christ, Christ in me, the hope of glory. If any man's in Christ, he's a new creation. In Christ, in Christ, Christ in me. Because he was so radically changed. Just read the little book of Philippians, four chapters. He was so radically changed when he met Jesus at this moment on Damascus. And over the next three years, as he's trained and he learns, then he comes back and man just attacks the world for the cause of Christ. No, you're not the Apostle Paul, but you know what you are? You're a sent one because you're a Christian. This is where he happened to be. You happen to be wherever you are. So let's look at his conversion. Verse 5. Paul said, Saul said, excuse me, 
Who are you, Lord? And the, the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. It's hard for you to kick against the goads. At this moment in time, what does Saul discover? Remember what he'd been doing, although we spent so much time today setting up the context. At this moment, as he's blinded, as he falls before whoever it is has blinded him, he says to him, I am Jesus. What are the two things that are going through the mind? Other things, but two things for sure are going through the mind of Saul of Tarsus. One, uh-oh, Jesus is alive. I've been wrong. You ever, ever had one of those moments? If you've been married any time, you've had many of them. Just a lot easier to say, I'm wrong, isn't it? All right. I'm wrong. Jesus is alive. But here's the other thing, the emotional thing, and I really want you to see this. All those people that I've had sentenced to death, that I'm part Stephen and others that I've had put to death, they were right. They were right. I was wrong. Now look at the title of your sermon again. God can save who? Because what, what would Saul of Tarsus be thinking, the other thing? There's no way in West Memphis he's going to save me. And he didn't even know about West Memphis. There's no way. After all I've done, you ever hear anybody say that to you? After all I've done, there's no way he can save me. Really. You saved this guy. If he could save Saul of Tarsus, guess what? He can save anybody. And by the way, Peter would later write, God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to what? Repentance. Your neighbor that's the biggest jerk you ever met, or the guy you work with is the biggest jerk you ever met, or that family member that's the biggest jerk you ever met, what's God's desire for that person? That they fall on their knees before Jesus and say, Lord, what do you want me to do? Lord, who are you? Now that I know who you are, look at verse 6. So Saul, trembling and astonished, I bet he was. I bet he was both trembling and astonished. Because if I'm Saul of Tarsus at this moment, I'm thinking, this is it. He's going to kill me. Wouldn't you be thinking that? Well, sure. Did he deserve it? Absolutely, he did. You see, grace just jumps off the page. He said, Lord, what do you want me to do? And the Lord said to him, I want you to arise and I want you to go in the city and you'll be told what to do. Trembling, astonished at the foot of the Messiah. Please don't miss this picture because it's really important. Here's how you know he's saved. What's his response to Jesus saying, who are you persecuting? Why are you persecuting me? What was Saul's response? Lord, what do you want me to do? When's the last time he asked somebody that question? I don't ask people what to do. I tell them what to do. I'm Saul of Tarsus. I don't ask anybody what to do. He does now. Lord, what do you want me to do? I love this picture because you're seeing the church. What does Jesus tell him to do? I want you to get up. You're obedient now to the will of God. He'd never been obedient to God's will in his life. He'd been obedient to self-righteousness. He said, all right, Lord, what do you want me to do? I'll do it. That's a sign you're born again, by the way, is that once you're saved, you're willing to obey God. So he says, all right, Lord, what do you want me to do? I love this. What does Jesus say? I want you to get up. I want you to go into Damascus. I love this. Why was he headed to Damascus? 
to imprison followers of Jesus. Now Jesus said, get up, I want you to go meet some of them. That's exactly what he's going to do. I want you to get up and go into the city. He doesn't know anything. And I love the guys that are with him. They're like, whoa, whoa, what's going on here? He said, all right, we're going to go into Damascus. He's blind. They got to lead him in. I want you to get up. I want you to go into the city, and then somebody will tell you what to do. He'd never done anything like That's not the way he did life. I'm the man. People do what I tell them to do. Not anymore. You get up. You're going to meet two total strangers. They're going to help you out. He's a changed man. He's a changed man. Jesus is now his Lord. So I want you to get up. Tell you what to do. Verse 8. Verse 7. I'd love to talk to these guys. The men who journeyed with him stood speechless. They heard a voice, but they didn't see anybody. I bet they were speechless. Verse 8. Saul arose from the ground, but his eyes were open. He saw no one. He's blind. They led him by the hand. They took him into Damascus. And he was three days without sight. He neither ate nor drank. He's blind. Please get the picture again. This is the man who was in control of everything. He's blind. He's hungry. He has absolutely no direction. In other words, he's what? Totally needy. And he's trusting Jesus. That's all he's got. You know what that's a picture of? A Christian. I was blind, but now I see. Totally in need, Jesus, what do I do? By the way, it's the best place you can be. Jesus, what do I do? And then go do it. So he meets now Ananias. Number two on your handout. I love this picture because the Bible is so cool. So he's now a Christ follower. His first experience as a believer is God's going to send him to two total strangers that, by the way, Ananias and Judas would have been the two people he was going to do what? They'd have been at the top of his list to do what? Chain them up and take them back and put them in prison and eventually have them executed. He now meets them as total strangers. He was on his way to imprison them, but God had a plan for Saul. Look at verse 10. There was a certain disciple of Damascus named Ananias, at Damascus, named Ananias. And to him the Lord said in a vision, Ananias, he said, here I am, Lord. The Lord said to him, arise, go to the street called Straight, and inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he's praying, and in a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him so that he might receive his sight. So God is preparing things. Verse 10, he tells Ananias, who's a disciple. Verse 11, I want you to go see Saul of Tarsus. Verse 12, 12, I'm preparing Saul. Just a little side note, and then we'll look at Ananias. I love this. may not mean anything, so this is just Randy's kind of Weird mind, so you can put this, you can flush this one on your way out. Look at the two names that God is going to send Saul of Tarsus to talk to Ananias and Judas. How many people name your kids Judas today? Ain't too many Judas Iscariots running around, are there? Ananias, he was killed by God for trying to buy the Holy Spirit, right? Or for lying to the Holy Spirit. Now I realize those are probably common names, and that's really all it means, but to me, it's kind of a little message there. I'm not trying to read into scripture. Don't misunderstand me. Now, for just a moment, take your shoes off, not literally. (laughs) Metaphorically, 
Put your the sandals of Ananias on. And look at verse 13. God has a plan. And Ananias said, Lord, uh, I've heard many about things about this man. Uh, how much harm he's done to your saints at Jerusalem. And he's on his way here with authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name, which is not said here, but it certainly implied and in true. Uh, Lord, I'm one of those. The much harm there in Greek means he's done bad things. That's what it means. Isn't Ananias exactly what, say, doesn't he say exactly to God what you or I would say? Say, look here, look here, Lord, can we talk about this for a minute? Do you know who Saul of Tarsus is? I know you know, but look here, do you know? He's done horrible things to Christ followers, followers of Jesus. And you want me to go meet him and talk to him? I sure do, Ananias. I sure do. He's praying, which by the way, just for a moment, pause. He prepares Ananias. He's prepared Paul. And what's Paul doing? He's blind. He's hungry. He's alone, basically. And what's he doing? Praying. What's the most important thing any Christian could do at any moment in time? Let's pray. Like I was talking about earlier with our missionaries, the number one thing you can do is get their little card and start praying for them. See, Paul has no place else to go. A lot of times the prayer, that we, we pray when we got no place else to go, which is basically where he is. But it's still what we should do all the time. Pray without ceasing. So look at the ministry God's got for Saul. Verse 15. What the Lord said to Ananias, you go. For Saul is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. So he tells Ananias, I understand, I know, I, I, I hear you. You go ahead and do it. I'm going to take care of you. I got a job for Saul, and here it is. And by the way, before we hit, here it is. Please don't miss this. Because this happen, happens all the time in our lives. If you're Ananias, you've still got his sandals on. If you're Ananias, does this on any level in any way, shape, form, or fashion makes sense to you? No, it does not. Saul of Tarsus will take me and put me in prison and kill me. My family will be destitute if I go see him. That's what would probably happen to anybody who met with Saul of Tarsus that followed Jesus before the road to Damascus experience. So it's logical what he's thinking, is it not? But God says, you go ahead. I got a ministry for Saul. Doesn't make sense. I know that. By the way, if you don't think that's applicable to our lives today, talk to me afterwards. You know it is. Example after example after example. It doesn't make sense. But God says, you just do it and trust me. Trust God and go. The theme of the Bible, Habakkuk 2.4 is what? The righteous shall live by faith. So notice verse 15. Here's my ministry for him. It's threefold. He's my chosen vessel. Ananias would never have chosen Saul of Tarsus. Nobody would have chosen Saul of Tarsus. Nobody who was a Christ follower would have chosen 
Saul of Tarsus, but who did choose him? God did. God did. So he's my chosen vessel to bear my name, Jesus' name. Notice the three groups before three groups, Gentiles, pagans outside Israel, pagans who don't know about God, pagans who are worshiping false gods, the whole spectrum. He's going to take the gospel to Gentiles. He's also going to bear my name before kings, the top of the power structure. We just saw him talking to Agrippa, those with authority, those with influence. So from the top to the bottom, rulers, Romans in particular, he's going to take the gospel to them and the children of Israel. I love this, the way God does it. Paul's number one desire as a former member of the Sanhedrin and a Pharisee and a Jew was he wanted to preach the gospel to the Jews. But what was God's will for him? No, Gentiles. Now, he'll get opportunities to write things for the Jews and some ministry to them, but God's primary call on his life was take the gospel to the Gentiles. Please don't miss this principle. The call on every one of our lives is to take the gospel somewhere. But it's not the same people group for every one of us. Your family members need to hear the gospel from you, not from your preacher. It doesn't mean given opportunities, I, I shouldn't do that as well. But wherever God sends you, that's your job. To take the gospel. Paul had got a specific plan for him. Gentiles, kings, and some children of Israel. Whatever yours is, is what it is. And don't expect your ministry to be somebody else's. you got to be who God wants you to be. Take the gospel where he sends you. Secondly, verse 16 is ministry for him. He's going to bear his name. Secondly, I will show him. How many things he must suffer for my name's sake? My name's sake. He's going to bear Jesus' name, and he's going to suffer for Jesus' name. I'm just going to read you a few quotes. Look at this, and then we're going to stop today. Listen to this. These are direct quotes about the Apostle Paul after this moment going forward. Many things he must suffer. Now, here are the quotes. I've been in labors more abundant, Paul is writing about himself, stripes above measure, prisons more frequently, deaths often, beaten with rods three times, stoned once, shipwrecked three times, shipwrecked three times, in perils of robbers, Jews, Gentiles, perils in the city, perils in the wilderness, perils in the sea, perils among false brethren. I've been in weariness, toil, sleeplessness, often, Hunger, thirst, fastings, often cold, naked. That was his whole life, suffering for Jesus. He said, besides that, quote, daily, my deep concern for all the churches, besides all these other things, end quote. The persecutor would become the persecuted. All for the sake of Jesus. Philippians 1, you don't have to turn there. I'm going to read this and then we're going to stop. Philippians 1, Paul wrote these words. My favorite chapter in the Bible, I think. I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me, all the stuff I was just 
quoting, actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. It has become evident to the whole palace guard, he was witnessing to the house of Caesar, to all the rest that my chains are in Christ. Most of the brethren in the Lord, having become confident by my chains, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. For to you, believers, it has been granted on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. That it was a privilege that we all have. He was, as he wrote those words, he was chained to a Roman soldier 24 hours a day waiting to be executed. And the theme of the book of Philippians is rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Now, he wasn't executed that time, but he later on had his head chopped off. That would probably do it. God can save anybody. He saved me. Here's my challenge to you as someone who is born again. Understand that it's a privilege to suffer for Christ. It doesn't mean you go around looking for it. What you do is you go live for Christ and it will automatically come to you. But it's okay. You take the opportunity to glorify Christ, share his name, persevere through the difficulty, whatever it is, because The bigger picture is eternity waits. Use the example of that funeral one more time that I did yesterday. And as I met with the widow and her two sons, we were talking about their dad and her husband. This was on Friday. She wanted me to say to her, can you guarantee me my husband went to heaven? I can't do that. I'm not God. Well, here's what I said to her. I can guarantee you the way that you can know you're going to heaven. We sat there and we talked about the gospel and how to go forward. And I believe God's already saved three people out of this horrible tragedy. And I don't know how the Lord will use what we shared yesterday, but it was, it was hard for me to do, but I was pretty graphic in what I shared about the gospel. Only hard in the sense I knew it was difficult for standing room only in that place, a lot of those people. But here's what I know. Eternity is more important. It's just important. The people you love, share the gospel with them. I have one brother that will not talk to me because I've shared the gospel with him so much. I, I'm sorry. But I still love him and I don't want him to go to hell, do I? So I'm going to share the gospel with him next time I get a chance. You just don't know. You just don't know. Life's a vapor. Here today, gone tomorrow. Focus on what's really important. Your relationships and eternity. Would you bow your heads, please? Lord, we thank you that This is not our religion, it's our life, that our God is the God who not only created us, but came as a man and died in our place so that we can have eternal life, peace, that we can have hope right now. We thank you, Father, for Jesus. I pray for everybody seated here, for those of us who are born again, we'd just be excited about loving people, loving them 
and lovingly sharing the gospel with them every chance we get and living our, making sure our legacy with those that we have relationships with is that of a believer, loving them, being Christ-like in all our relationships, family and everything else. So, Lord, you challenge each of us individually where we need to be with Christ as we leave today, that we just don't leave, but we leave different. We pray in his name. Amen. Please stand as we sing. If you'd like me to pray with you, I'll be down front. couple of things I want to mention to you, and then I'm going to have, uh, find one of our elders. Chad's going to come uh, close us in prayer, apparently. Um, if you're visiting with us today, we really appreciate you being here. You're our guest. We do not uh, expect you to give. For everybody, that this is your church home. You can use the black boxes and or, I'm getting worried now, and or online, however you choose to give. 
and I really appreciate you choosing to worship with us today. Uh, I think I'll quit talking and let whoever's going to pray do whatever they're going to do. One thing, when we're done, Mike and I are going to be over in that wall. If you'd like to get a map and just go, go to one of the neighborhoods we don't have covered yet, we really need to get those covered before the weather gets cold. And if you'd like a t-shirt, they're over there. We just came up there embarrassing is what we did. It's hard to do. <laughs> hard to do. Now, October is Pastor Appreciation Month, and uh, we really, really want to have Randy and Rhiannon and Russ and Peter up here. You know, as, as a family, we just want to thank you for all that you do. We love you guys. We really appreciate all your hard work and sacrifice that you put in to, uh, to share and love on us and, and just share God's word with us. We really appreciate everything you do. Steve's got some cards and things to hand out, but basically, uh, everybody, if you would, just as we close, just come and hug your neck and thank them. We really, truly love you guys and we really thank you for all that, uh, thank that you. you do for us. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank